When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. CLNS's Patriots coverage is powered by our exclusive wagering partners at betonline.ag. Use the promo code CLNS50 for 50% off your welcome bonus. Good afternoon, everybody. Evan Lazar, Alex Barth, Patriots Beat Podcast here on this Wednesday afternoon. We apologize for the technical delays earlier. Just our streaming service was not working with us as well as it usually does, but we're up and running now. We're going to take you through Patriots Eagles uh, on Thursday night, 7.30 p.m. kickoff, Eastern time, of course. And uh, the Pats and the Eagles had two intense days of joint practices, Alex. So I think the biggest question going into this game from a starter's perspective, is just how much Bill Belichick will play the starters tomorrow night. Usually when you have these joint practices, they don't play as much of the starters in the game as they do normally because they had plenty of live work in practice. But the second practice yesterday on Tuesday only ran about an hour and 20 minutes. So maybe that was an indication that they were going to ramp it back up in the game in a couple of days. How much do you think Cam... And I guess Mac also will play in this game tomorrow night. Well, I did nail this projection last week. So assume what I say is, you know, rock solid. Um, <laughs> it, no, it's it's really tough to tell now with the three-game preseason. Of course, having, you know, it's not the same quarterback situation Bill Belichick managed for 20 years. I would think, I think, so here's where I'm torn. I think in a perfect world, Cam would play more tomorrow night because you want him to build chemistry with some of these starters ahead of week one. That being said, okay, which starters do you want him building chemistry with? Hunter Henry. Oh, well, he's hurt. He's not playing. Johnny Smith. Oh, yeah, he's hurt too. Nelson Aguilar. I know he, you know, practiced the last two days, but he's been banged up. How much do you want him playing? Well, okay. If those three guys aren't playing, what chemistry is he building? So right. does that, you know, I guess real quick, let me flip that back to you. Do you think those players potentially not playing impacts Cam's playing time. I I think that on the one hand, I would say that the starting offensive line health would be more maybe an indicator in that sense, just because okay. you don't want to throw your starter out there behind a makeshift offensive line in a meaningless game. Right. So that to me is usually the biggest indication is who the five guys are in front of the quarterback blocking for the quarterback. But ultimately the the tough part about it is is this the is this the new third preseason game or is this still the second preseason game you know what i mean because with only three preseason games this summer we have to decide how is bill belichick going to treat it with only three preseason games right. now there is a long layoff the game against the giants is on the 29th right uh next sunday 10 days the Patriots don't play until the 12th, correct? I believe it is that Sunday of week one. Yeah. So that's a long layoff between the last preseason game and the first regular season game. So I guess theoretically they have enough time to let their bodies recover and, and be ready to go week one. But to be safe, because look, 
if a, if a player goes out with a serious injury, it is what it is. But if a player gets nicked up in this game, then you give him a longer runway from starting them in this game to get ready and get back for week one. So that to me is the toughest thing to decipher. And we're going to find out obviously tomorrow night is how is Bill Belichick going to treat this preseason game? Is this truly now the dress rehearsal or is this just the second preseason game like any other year? So, and and I guess that's the question. So for me, I think you combine the two because it's the second preseason game and it's the second to last preseason game. That's kind of how I look at it. So right. I think in a perfect world, and, and again, I think maybe they play Cam less just because some of those guys you want him to get reps with aren't going to be out there. But in a perfect world, I think you see Cam play more. I think Cam gets a quarter. I think Mac gets a quarter plus. So the second quarter, and then again, you get him used to that halftime adjustment like they did last week. He gets a drive or two in the third, and then I think you coast Hoyer from there on out. So that's that. That's what I would expect. Now. Maybe Max steals some time from Cam at the end of the first quarter again because what you're trying to do with Cam Newton maybe can't be accomplished in this game just to no fault of his own because of who else would or or wouldn't be out there. Uh, But that's how I'm looking at it. Right. I I still think Max's going to play a lot because he is the rookie quarterback. He's a first-round pick. They have to play him and get him reps, whether – it's with the starters or not, it feels like these reps are very valuable to Mac Jones right now, especially if you consider the fact that if the plan, as Bill Belichick has said at times, is to start Cam Newton week one and continue to start Cam Newton until maybe even all season or until Mac is ready, we've both sort of, I think at least, fell more towards the side of until Mac's ready for now. But we'll see what happens there. But he's not going to get, the point being, is if week one is is Cam's week and Cam's game to start, then Mac is not going to get the reps in practice at that point, right? Once they play the Giants and it's Cam's team, then Mac is going to lose out on a ton of reps in practice. So to me, I think that that's going to be a a factor here and giving Mac reps now in these preseason games just because – down the line, he might not have as many reps. And then you also have to factor in, is Brian Hoyer the scout team quarterback? Are they going to have Mac Jones run the scout team once we get in season? To me, and we've talked about this as well, about keeping Brian Hoyer for that purpose, is because it feels like it would be better suited for Brian Hoyer to worry about running the other team's offense and not muddy Mac Jones's brain with thinking about other teams' playbooks and stuff like that and allow him to focus on working on the Patriots' offense and getting up to speed with the Patriots' offense. So there's a lot of factors here at play, but I do think we're going to get a lot of Mac Jones still in this game. He had, what, five series, five drives against Washington? I think it was. It might have been more than that. I thought it was five. Maybe it was six. Was it? I have to go back. And I mean, he right played, up. he didn't play three full quarters, but he played over the course of three quarters. I think. That that's right. So I, I think that we'll see something similar because yeah. ultimately I think right now, Bill Belichick is saying that Cam is still our starting quarterback. And until that changes, they're going to have to give Mac as many reps this summer, whether it's in training camp or in the preseason games as they possibly can. Because again, once the week one rolls around, all those reps are going to go to Cam in practice. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, you know, it's not exactly what we're talking about, but to go back uh, to what you said a little bit ago, because I, I put out my roster projection this morning, my new roster projection on 98.5thesportsup.com, and I have three quarterbacks. A lot of people are, and I think you did too, right? I, I'm, yeah. Absolutely. And I, yes. you know, it's just so important. You talk about the reps, you know, 
you want Mac Jones being able to focus on what he's doing and learning the Patriots playbook and focusing on his technique and everything. You don't want him having to run another playbook, impersonate another quarterback. Like I think that's part of what set Jared Stidham back. Not that Jared Stidham would have been this great NFL starter had he not had to run the scout team his rookie year, but I, I, I do think that's a part of it. So I think it is important for, for that, 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 that Hoyer is here. I know it's completely unrelated to what you said, but I want to say no, that no. because I feel like it's a point that's missed on a lot of people and you just kind of jog my brain on it. And okay. I want, I, I'd like to think our followers are as football intelligent as possible. So the more we can help them with that, the better. So before we move on from the quarterbacks, I do want to pose this question. Is there anything that you are looking for in particular at a cam or Mac? Because I think we've talked so much about both QBs and we kind of have an idea of what we're hoping to see out of them. Right. I, I don't know if anything yeah. has necessarily changed all that much, but I'll open the floor. And if there's anything that you would like to see from my other guy in particular, before we move on to some of the other positions. Yeah, no, I mean, everybody's talking about the quarterbacks. I got a screenshot from a friend today. They brought Yik Yak back. I don't know if you remember that from college that was the best app ever and the the top yak in my location right now is camera mac and right one reply and that's brian hoyer um yeah i, I guess what <laughs> Wait, brian hoyer replied or it's just says, no, brian it says i mean it could have been brian hoyer that's the whole point of the app it's anonymous and i brian hoyer probably lives close to where i live but the one reply says brian hoyer um so yeah big yak yak fan um i what am i looking for mac jones so i think last week and i talked about this you know Everybody is so wowed with what he did. I, I I don't know, you know, I wasn't wowed to the level of, oh, he can start week one, but I think he set the floor. I think he he showed that he belongs. He looked a part of an NFL quarterback. I think that's very important. So this week, I just want to see what he can do to build on that. He talked about with the joint practices, they really helped him kind of learn the timing of NFL windows and see, you know, how NFL windows kind of shrink a little bit quicker. All right, Mac, let me see what you learned. I want to see him, right. you know, maybe maybe not force the ball downfield, but push the ball downfield a little more, test some of these windows. We did see him throw Christian Wilkerson open once in that in that game last week. I want to see how he can throw guys open. I, you know, third downs. They struggled on third down last week. As good as he looked, he didn't run a touchdown drive. Let me see him string some some first downs together, convert some third downs where where they're getting near the end zone. There was that one play where it was a third down and you know, it was short, but it wasn't short. I think it was like thir- three or four yards, something like that. And he checks to a run and they don't get it. Checked another pass play, hot route, somebody, something. Let me see him try to get more aggressive in that situation. So none of that's a knock on last week. I'm not saying he should have done any of this last week. Again, he did what he needed to do last week. He set the floor, but you know, you don't, when you're building a house, you don't build the floor and then bring in people to move in. You got to build the rest of the house. So I want to see, you know, let's put some walls up maybe some doors, maybe some windows. I'm not saying we have to do the wiring yet. I'm not saying we're going to Ikea to shop for furniture, but you know, what's the next stage of building of, of, of building up from that floor for Mac Jones. I think let's see what that is this week. Let's put some insulation in the house. Uh, that's maybe week three. Insulation's maybe a week three thing. You got to build the walls before you do the insulation. All right, all right, fair enough. Floors, walls, we got it. And I, I did do Habitat for Humanity once, so I'm an expert on building houses. Oh, my gosh. Pat yourself on the back <laughs> some more for doing community service one time. And anyways, with Cam, I, I do think you would like to see them open up the passing offense a little bit more. PFF had the number for his average uh, yards, air yards per attempt or average depth of target, whichever term you want to use, it was under one. I think it was 0. 0.7 or around that. So you would like to see him push the football down the field a little bit more and, and for the play calling to allow him to push the football f- down the field a little bit more. That was a very conservative 
opening series or two that he got two series. I remember that with Cam de- de- definitively. It was it was very conservative play calling. And I don't think that that's an indication with anything with Cam. Maybe they just wanted to get the starters out there, let them run around a little bit and, and just call it a day, right? And they didn't want Cam to right. sit there in the pocket and hold the football forever. But I, I do think that they – should allow Cam, whether it's this uh, this week or next week, to actually go out there and run an NFL passing offense. I mean, there were a few drop back type of concepts, and maybe he just couldn't ha- didn't have any options down the field and had to throw it short. But for the most part, that was not an open up the offense and let's open up the passing game. When Mac came into the game on his uh, the third drive of the game with the starting offensive line the playbook and the play calling was completely different. Josh McDaniels completely opened up the offense at that point. And the deep ball that you mentioned to Christian Wilkerson, Ted Wynn, the athletic did a great job of breaking down that play and mentioned that whether it was Matt calling the protection or someone else calling the protection on the line or a little bit of both, they blocked up a blitz on that play and Mac made the right read based off the safety rotation to attack the one-on-one matchup with Christian Wilkerson, who had a, a, had a double move on the backside a little out and up. So that was a really nice sort of indication of what Mac is capable of doing, which is getting the ball out quickly, pre-snap, understanding where his pre-snap read is and maybe where he wants to go to the, with the football a little bit. I thought there was one or two plays from Mac last week where he made a decision before the ball was snapped and it might not have been the best decision after the ball was snapped. One of them was on third and I think it was about third and seven and he threw the ball to a receiver, Kendrick Bourne on an under route. That was a three or four yard gain, even if it's a completion right on third and seven. Right. So you would have liked to have seen him try to push it past the sticks. That was one time where I thought the pre-snap read kind of hurt him a little bit, but overall he did a really good job of deciphering what the defense was giving to him before the snap and then getting the football out quickly based off the matchups. And that's exactly what you want to see. That's, that's the Patriots offense. That's why, what, they draw up they want to give the quarterback as much of an idea pre-snap as what's going on so I actually don't think I want to see anything much different out of Mac I I thought that he played the way that they wanted him to play but in terms of Cam at some point they have to test Cam deep right see how he can throw the ball down the field a little bit more I think his furthest throw was that crossing route to Jacoby Myers it was like an 11 or 10 yard air air yard type of throw so at some point they're going to have to throw the ball down the field with Cam back there as well in the preseason so maybe that does come tomorrow night and he has some more opportunities to push it down the field let's uh let's move on to the wide receivers I think that's a really important element to this and I I would let's start with Nikhil Harry because what I wrote down and in my notes here to get the show uh, rolling was Nikhil Harry finally question mark, right? (laughs) Does he finally show up in a game? Because we have seen it consistently in practice all summer long, going all the way back to day one of training camp to now the two days in Philadelphia. We talked about that on the show on Monday and Tuesday that Nikhil was making plays out there against the Eagles secondary at some point, the practice performance or the good practice performance has to translate on a game day. Because if it doesn't, then all it is is, well, he's a good practice player, which is a good thing. It's not a terrible thing that he's practicing well, but he has to eventually show up on a game in a game. Right. It's tomorrow night, the night that he finally shows up in a game. 
Yeah, so I wrote uh, my my week two pre, uh, preseason preview for 98.5 The Sports Hub. I've been working on that today. It'll be up tomorrow morning on 98.5thesportshub.com, but I'll give you a little preview right here, a little uh, sneak peek. Uh, I, I, Nikhil Harry, he exceeded in non-padded practices. Right. He succeeded in padded practices within the team. He succeeded in the joint practices over the weekend. All he needs is a game, and he has training camp bingo, right? That's <laughs> right. the last thing he needs to check off. So can he do it? You'd like to think he was beating these corners for the two days in Philly. He can come out and do it on Thursday. We will see. Um, but, yeah, I think, you know, his roster spot's safe pending a trade. And what I mean by that is, and we talked about this a little bit, I think it was yesterday that, they're not going to trade him just to trade him at this point. They're not going to trade him just to open up the roster spot and say, yeah, I'll take a six-round pick for him, whatever. I still think if somebody came along and wowed them, you know, and I'm talking a top 100 pick at this point, a third round, maybe high fourth-round pick, uh, that that they'd move him at worst. Um, but I think his roster spot's safe. Now it becomes about, all right, he's going to make the team, but how much is he going to play? Well, he needs to cap, catch that top group of Aguilar, Bourne, and Myers, who have all been excellent this summer. And he's not going to catch them if he doesn't show up in a game. So he has two chances left to do it. We don't know what that third preseason game is going to look like. So here we go. Here's his chance for, again, training camp bingo. Regardless of whether they trade Nikhil Harry or keep Nikhil Harry, if he plays well in a preseason game, it's good either way, right? Because it's either going right. to increase his trade value or it's going to solidify the fact that maybe the light has come on for Nikhil Harry and they're actually going to have a weapon out of this player. Because – most of the time, and not all the time, and there are certainly instances where guys get it in year three, year four, year five, later on in their careers. But from an eye test perspective, it does feel like, for the most part, you kind of know almost right away if a guy's going to be really, really good or not in the NFL. There, there's very few first-round picks, let's call it. Maybe some of those, a guy like Julian Edelman, right, who's a seventh-round pick, and it right. takes them three or four years to break out as a receiver. But guys that are first-round picks like Nikhil Harry, you are either really, really good right away or it's clear that you were overdrafted. There's, there's, not always, there's usually not an in-between. Some of those guys, like, for instance, Cordero Patterson, he, they can find a role for themselves in the NFL even though they don't pan out as a receiver. But you're either Justin Jefferson or you're Nikhil Harry if you're a first-round pick. You're either a stud right away or you're not. And it it doesn't usually come on in years three, years four, but maybe it is for Harry. Maybe he's the exception to the rule. Maybe he's the guy that looked – like in years one and two, like he barely belonged on an NFL field in terms of speed, right? In terms of explosiveness. Now, all of a sudden, he looks a little bit faster. He has a little bit more wiggle at the top of the route. He's coming off the line of scrimmage and threatening guys in the stem a little bit more. Maybe there's more there to to him. Now, am I sitting here saying he's going to turn into a thousand yard receiver? Absolutely not. But could he have 650 yards and four touchdowns one year? Maybe. I mean, that that's I think that's we're starting to get into that territory where he can at least be a serviceable pass catcher in an NFL offense and not a complete bust. So I guess where, where I'd push back on that a little bit. And, you know, I think to an extent you're right. The wide receiver position generally sees results maybe quicker than some others. But I think that we've seen in the Patriots system and the Patriots system so different, right? We've it, for all positions we've seen in the Patriot system, right? That the, the year one to two jump and the year two to three jump. And then with Nikhil, it's an even more complicated situation because his year one to two jump, he didn't really have that off season to do it. Right. He didn't have a full training camp. He didn't have a preseason last year because of COVID. 
So I think if, you know, I, and yeah, I'm kind of hesitant to give a guy at that position the benefit of the doubt because like you said, I, I guess I would quicker. I, I believe I understand what you're saying and I, I hear what you're saying. I think I would believe it more if my eye test was telling me that this guy moved like an NFL player, right? But your eye test, when I was telling you all summer that they should trade him, you were saying that the eye test said that, that he was finally doing that. Right. He does move better. And that's sort of what I'm holding on to. Right. But I want to, I I really do hope that either way, whether this is him breaking out or this is him increasing his trade value or whatever the case may be, like we said to begin with, trading him for a conditional sixth round pick or just getting him out of here just to get him out of town and free up the roster spot, that needs to be off the table. He he's done enough in training camp to show us that he's at least more valuable than that. Right. So if they're gonna trade him now, and I said at the beginning of training camp, I this is the exact thing I hoped was going to happen was that Nikhil right. Harry was going to play well in camp and play well enough in camp to make his trade value increase. And hopefully that is exactly what is happening. I'm still not ready to jump on the bandwagon completely because I was on the bandwagon when they drafted him. I convinced him, I convinced myself, went against my own rankings in the draft that year and convinced myself that this was going to be a good pick for the Patriots because the Patriots drafted him. And it turned out that I should have went with my gut. And that's one thing that I definitely, uh, something I've always regretted with the Nikhil Harry situation was I had him ranked, I think, as wide receiver seven in that draft. I thought that they overdrafted him. I had Debo ahead of him. I had McLaurin ahead of him. I had DK ahead of him. I had all the guys, AJ Brown, all the guys that everybody talks about. And of course, I, I could talk myself into it. Like I always do with the Patriots. I talked myself into the pick. So hopefully this is the, the, the time for Nikhil Harry. Hopefully he's figured it out, whether it ends up being here or someplace else. Yeah, I think that and, – and here's the weird – the really weird thing about the Nikhil situation. This is all very weird. Like this is – not in a bad way. It's just one of the more bizarre individual uh, – uh, summers from an individual player we've seen in a while because so much of what's happening is unique. Um and I think that with Nikhil, a huge part of the struggle hasn't been his fault. It's that the Patriots have had him. They haven't had him playing to his strengths. They've had him playing to his weaknesses. And part of what why the Patriots have been so good for 20 years is they find players that are maybe really good at one thing that other people miss and right. they have them play right to that strength. So that's why the whole Nikhil Harry saga has been bizarre. But he can play great in the preseason. He can play great in, in, in camp. We know he's a tremendous athlete, but... You know, when the lights really come on and and we get into games that matter, are the Patriots going to play him how they need to play him? Are they going to use him in a way that that he can play to his strengths? Are they going to use him the way that they have the last two years? Because frankly, if if they come out and they, they, they run him and they have him doing all this fancy footwork, what I say the other week, I think I called it pirouette crap yeah. that, that they've had him doing. This is all for naught. Because he right. can't do that. And not every receiver can do everything. One guy could. He was Randy Moss. Nikhil Harry, maybe he'll go on to have a good career. He's not Randy Moss. He was never going to be Randy Moss. Nobody's ever going to be Randy Moss again. Nikhil can't run those kind of routes they want him to run. That's not his game. He needs to run eight yards on third and five, turn back, and then catch a back shoulder to the sideline, just outmuscle the corner to the ball. That needs to be his game. They've done that with him, I think, three times in two years. So that that's why I'm like hesitant to get excited about all of this because yes, he's playing well. He is. There's factors that we've seen that are out of his own control. Things that led to that trade request, as we saw in the request, the agents said it that have led to his struggles. And 
you can't, you know, it's not something that, that it's, fi- it's not fixed until it's fixed. You're not going to know that, that it's not an issue until it's not an issue. But I think that's a huge part of the Nikhil conversation too. Vertical route tree, right? He's got to he's got to be on a vertical route tree. You start as you called it, pirouetting with him in the middle of the field, or asking him to run a precise route. You know, dipsy do here, and then and then right. stop there in forty five degree, like the, right. the Dennis Rodman meme from, from right. the last dance. Not going to work. So get up the field on a fade ball, back shoulder fade, stop routes along the sideline, and like I've always said with Nikhil, maybe the occasional underneath drag route too would be good. And like I've always said with Nikhil. He has to develop either a slant or a dig route. He's got to develop something underneath the defense that's effective for him because otherwise you just sit all over the fade and you smother him at the line of scrimmage and he can't get off the press coverage and he can't get up the field because the guy is sitting back in his chair and waiting for him to run, right? So you have to be able to have something to respect the deep ball and that's got to be a slant. It's got to be a dig. It's got to be something breaking inside. Now he did it in practice against Michael Jackson and Jawan Williams, which isn't exactly Stephon Gilmore and JC Jackson, but we did see him in practice run more effectively on a slant or a dig or whatever it is that exactly they call it. And that to me is optimistic more so than maybe even him going down the field and high pointing some ball. Cause we know he can do that, right? We know he can do the jump balls. We know he can do the back shoulders. The question was going to be whether he could develop a secondary route. It's like a pass rusher, right? You have one go-to move and then you have to have a counter move. You can't just always win on your one move, right? Because guys, tackles are smarter than that in the NFL. They figure it out. They figure out what your move is and they figure out how to stop it. So you have to have a counter. It's like a pitcher having a fastball. You have to have a secondary pitch also to get guys out in the majors. Same thing as a wide receiver. So let's talk about another wide receiver, Christian Wilkerson. And the, Alex, you were all on board the Christian Wilkerson hype train. Uh, you, yeah. were, you were swaying me onto the train. I was, I was one foot on, you know, and, and I was, I was about to step onto it. And then he suddenly decided to just drop every pass thrown his direction over the last couple of days. So where do you stand right now with Christian Wilkerson? Are you still a believer? Where, where's, where's the panic meter on Christian Wilkerson for you right now? So I, in my roster projection this morning, again, 985.com, I have him on as the 53rd guy. I have him on as the last guy. I did put Nikhil Harry on too. I didn't have him on the last one. Yeah, I put Nikhil Harry on because I still think Wilkerson can contribute on special teams. He still looked good on special teams, but the excitement was, okay, here's a guy that can contribute on special teams right away. We'll give you a little bit as a depth receiver as well. And then projects to maybe grow into a receiver as, as you go on. I think Crisco Wilkerson in the chat. That's good. I think um, as, as camp's that's gone me. on here that, you know, what he because the excitement was all right, special teams and he can give you some as a receiver. I think I compared him to Brandon Bolden on one show. That well, was a good comparison. I stole it, was, it a couple times. It was, but <laughs> you know, now okay, the warts and you knew he wasn't gonna be the perfect wide receiver. You knew that, but he needs a little more polish than I think he showed at first. I, I think he's maybe yeah. a little bit further away than he showed at first. I still do think there's something there. I do think if a team, and maybe it's the Patriots, maybe it's not. I don't know if the Patriots have the resources to give him the time he needs. But if it's another team that's maybe a little shorter on the wide receiver depth chart, right? Maybe a team that's not carrying three tight ends and six backs and five receivers. Right. I I still think he could be a decent wide receiver. But the gap is, 
is too much right now. Now, okay, we have basically a week and a half of good and a week and a half of bad. So it's 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 a tie right now. So that's why I that's why I still have him on because maybe he had a bad week and a half and maybe he comes back down the stretch here and kicks ass down the rest of camp. Right? It's not that he's shown more bad than good. He hasn't shown more good than bad. It's a draw. Um, but his his margin of error is gone at this point. That's basically where I look at it. I still have him on, but he's got to turn things around and get back to the guy he was at the beginning of camp. Otherwise, and maybe they can get him on the practice squad. I don't know, but he has to be able to contribute a bit as a wide receiver in order to make this team. And I think that what we've seen the last couple of days with the drops, that's uh, not going to happen. So the question is to me is this, because early on in practice and early on in training camp, I didn't necessarily think that he was fighting the ball as much as he is now. So is it mental? Does he have the yips, right? Does he just have right. the yips? Is it a mental hurdle that he started dropping a few passes? I, I think that that throw that Mac made to him in the Washington game where he could have had it. It was also a good play by the defensive back to get his hand in there and make it a, a contested catch, right? But right. A, an NFL receiver runs through that contact, finishes through that contact, and makes the catch, right? Anyways, even with the right. defender draped all over him. So I think that that play because he, he was asked about it after the game and he seemed pretty hard on himself on that particular play Mac threw a great ball and I should have caught it right and you wonder if that play got into his head a little bit where he said damn you know I really should have had that play and now it's it's stuck in the back of his head that he needs to catch the ball better and it snowballed on him so there is a chance and, and now I'm being the positive one about Christian Wilkerson there is a chance that he it's all mental Right. And he's able to get over that, put it behind him. Maybe he makes a big catch tomorrow night that kind of gets it out of his head. Or right. there's a chance that it took a larger sample size for us to see the real question, the, the flaws in his game start to come out. Right. So that I think tomorrow night and next week as well. But I think we're going to find out quickly in the next couple of days, whether it's tomorrow night or practice over the weekend or whatever the case may be, whether or not this was mental and he can get over it quickly, or if this is actually, he has a problem and he's prone to dropping the football. Because if that's the case, then you're right. He's too far away because they already have a guy that creates separation on the outside that has iffy hands. And his name is Nelson Aguilar. He's making a lot more money to play wide receiver for the Patriots than Christian Wilkerson. So they already have one guy like that. So adding another guy like that into the mix is probably not great for this offense. So let me just go and let me, the other thing is to kind of go back to what I said, right? A week and a half of good and a week and a half of bad. And this goes into what you said about the next week. He, I've talked a ton, mostly in, in relation to the quarterbacks, but I've talked a ton about how all the different practices and, and events are weighted, right? Padded practices are weighted more than not padded practices. Joint practices are weighted more than team practices. Preseason games are weighted more than most. Well, Christian Wilkerson aced all the stuff up to the stuff that really mattered. Right. And once it really started mattering, the preseason game, the joint practices, he kind of fell off. So, yeah, again, I think he needs to he he needs to pick things up here and have a really – again, I still have him on right now. But I have him on as the 53rd guy, and I think his margin of error is completely gone. I think from here on out, he needs to elevate his game and improve uh, because if, if he keeps doing what he's doing, he's going to fall off. And, and you're going to see a guy like – whether it be a guy like Matt Lacoste, uh, maybe somebody on defense, maybe it opens up a spot for an extra defensive tackle, Carl Davis, Akeem Spence. Maybe they want to keep an extra defensive back. I don't know, but there's other guys that's, and we, we've talked about this on the show and I wrote about it on 98.5thesportshub.com, the at-large spots, right? 
Right. That's an at-large spot that Christian Wilkerson has. And that's a hard one to hold on to because he's not only competing against, you know, it'd be one thing if it was, okay, well, he's their best option for their last wide receiver and they're at the minimum number of wide receivers and it's okay. They got to keep it wide out and it's him or it's Devin Ross or it's Isaiah Zuber, right? Then it's easier. Then he's on the team because he's been better than those guys, but it's an at-large spot. That's a spot anybody on the roster can win because they have their minimum number of wide receivers set without Wilkerson. So he's competing against Carl Davis. He's competing against, you know, Matt Lacoste. He's competing against maybe an eighth lineman. He might be competing against Quentin Ordine or Nick Bulk. They, right. may, they may find a way on the initial roster to keep two kickers. And I know we'll get to this in a little bit. And then I are Bulk. So, so Ordine right. can start to see they still have Bulk, right? So he's competing against a lot of people for that spot. And that's what makes it so tough. So before we get to the lone wolf, Devin Asiasi, I do want to mention really quickly on Wilkerson. The other hurdle that I do think that he has is that Gunner has not really shown out much as a wide yeah, receiver. Yeah, that hurts too. So they're oh, they already have a guy that's only playing in the kicking game on the wide receiver depth chart. We're not counting Matthew Slater as a wide receiver; he's his own thing. But right. Gunner is a wide receiver that's a punt returner, and he's not going to play much receiver unless there's injuries. So carrying two guys. Yeah, the majority of their snaps on the depth chart are going to be on special teams and are kind of fringe wide receivers in the NFL. That That's tough as well for Christian Wilkerson. The lone wolf, Devin Asiasi, the only tight end expected to suit up in tomorrow night's game against the Eagles. On the one hand, great opportunity for Asiasi, right? On the other hand, the tight end room has got the injury bug in a bad way. Now the good news is, and this is what I'm hearing as well, that the injuries to Hunter Henry and Johnu Smith are not in season serious, right? If this was a meaningful regular season game, they were playing against the Eagles tomorrow night. Both of those guys could go, but obviously no reason to push it in the preseason. So that's the optimistic view on it. And that's part of the reason why the team was also okay with a dumping Troy Fumagalli yesterday was because they know that Hunter Henry and Johnny Smith should be good to go for week one. And there's not major concern there, but in the meantime, Devin Asiasi, the second year tight end for the Patriots is going to be the only active tight end, unless you want to count Jakob Johnson, the fullback is sort of in that mix as well. But what do you want to see out of Asiasi? Because Malakos has had an okay camp. Malakos has not been a, a, yeah. a scrub in training camp so far. Now, I wouldn't say he's really done much as a pass catcher, but he's been a reliable blocker. He got knocked out by Derek Barnett, so he's probably not going to play in this game either. So a big opportunity for Asiasi to show us something because he might play have to play wall-to-wall. He might have to play the entire game. Yeah, I, I, I think so. And I was a little surprised that they cut Troy Fumagalli yesterday. Not that I thought Fumagalli was going to make the team as much as I like him as a player, but he... he it's unprecedented to have this lack of depth this early in the preseason. I mean, you have 85 players. Jeez. So, yeah, maybe Jakob Johnson plays some tight end. I don't Maybe we see who else does. You know, if Rashad Berry was still here and he was a tight end in college, he's a guy I think maybe would play out there. I don't know. Do, do they have another Mike Vrabel? You know, can Chase Winovich has joked in the past about wanting to play some, you know, tight end or fullback, and he did that in high school, and maybe we get to see that. Maybe – uh, what other depth linebackers are there? I don't know. Does Harvey Longy, does Cash Malawia play any tight end? Like maybe we see okay. something like that. I know in the joint practices, they used a lot of six offensive line sets. So maybe that's the case, but you still yeah. want to work on that two tight end offense and you want to give your, your, the rest of your roster experience in that two tight end offense that you're going to run a ton. So it's going to be interesting to see, but yeah, like you said, I think it's a huge chance for Aussie Aussie. Lacoste has had that strong summer. I think it's probably more realistic that they keep four tight ends than they cut Aussie Aussie. 
just because he he was a top 100 pick a year ago. They did they do have a somewhat substantial investment in him. Giving up on him after just a year is is probably a little short sighted, especially you know. I'm somebody who said that they, it's too early to give up on, on Anthony Jennings. And if it's too early to give up on Anthony Jennings, same thing about Devin Asiasi. But, you know, they, maybe they keep for it, but who's going to get the most playing time of those second two guys? Here's a chance for him to maybe distance himself from Matt Lacoste a little bit. So, yeah, I would agree with that. I think this is a, a big, big chance for him. But let's also remember, he's not completely healthy either. So, what, a, a week and a half removed from, from right. uh, COVID. So we'll see. What yeah, I asked him about that yesterday. I said, "How how's your wind? How how's your lungs?" Because we've heard the stories, specifically here in Boston, about Jason Tatum right after COVID right, right. and taking the inhaler and all that kind of stuff. And you do wonder that with Ossie Ossie a week and a half removed from COVID, and it does sound like he didn't have severe symptoms, but he was at least somewhat symptomatic with the with the COVID diagnosis that held him out long enough, right? It, it, it wouldn't have held him out for that long if he wasn't sick at all, right? He would have right. tested negative and would have been back out there. So to me, uh, can he even play the entire game? If they have to have him play 60 snaps, is he going to have the wind in the conditioning to be able to do that after the layoff and after the COVID diagnosis? That's going to be an interesting part of it too. I think the one thing that you see with Ossie Ossie, he's, he's actually a very good blocker. I think he's a better run blocker than I initially thought when they drafted him. He's pretty good there. But in terms of catching the football, he's another guy that struggles a little bit with finishing through contact, right? He, it's not necessarily that I know a lot of people like to say that he drops everything or he's got bad hands. I, I, I think it's more that he's bad in contested situations, right? Which for a tight end is not great. And I know you shouldn't use the word bad. That's, that's strong, but he has struggles in those types of situations where when there's a guy draped all over him or there's a DB that gets his hand in there late or something like that, he has struggles then finishing the play through the contact. And that's going to be something as an NFL tight end, you're going to have to be able to finish through contact because guys are going to be all over you. It's not every day. It's not every type of tight end. There's only a handful of tight ends that create so much separation with their route running and their speed that they don't have guys all over them. Maybe Darren Waller, Travis Kelsey, you know, those types of players. Devin Asiasi is going to wear coverage a little bit, and he's going to have to be able to win in contested situations. So that's an area where he's definitely going to have to work on his game. And maybe we're going to see that out there to, uh, tomorrow night and maybe in the future. But so far in Eagles joint practices, that was another problem that he consistently had was the ball hit him in the hands, the the DB would be on his back and just getting through that and making sure that he secures the catch was a problem that he was having in joint practices. And we saw that a little bit last year as well when he played in the regular season. So that's something I think that we have to see out of Devin Asiasi. Uh Moving on to the running backs. First question, can Ramondre Stevenson, who played extremely well last Thursday and then played a decent amount with the starters on Monday and Tuesday and joint practices with the Eagles. Can he do enough to avoid the true rookie red shirt? Right. Because we know he's going to be on the team. His roster spot is obviously safe even right. before he stepped on the field. But in terms of can he actually get some run now, maybe it would take an injury to Damian Harris or Sony Michelle anyways. But we've seen in the past, Alex, that even when guy, their top guys get injured, if they don't believe in a rookie running back, they still don't put him out there. So can Ramondre Stevenson be reliable enough that if Damian Harris or Sony Michelle get injured and they need to get another back back there, that it's not Brandon Bolden, that they're willing to turn to Ramondre Stevenson. Yeah, I, 
you know, I, I think in, in a past year, it's probably easy for easier for him to break that red shirt mold, but because of that tremendous depth and because Bolden's had a good summer, um, I, I think it makes it a little bit tougher for him to maybe get some snaps this year. We'll see, you know, how did he look outside of that one run? I don't know. You know, he, he was good. He had one other good run. I think it was like a 10 or 11 yard gain where he's able to jump cut a guy and, and get right. out a little bit. Yeah. He, he had one other decent run other than the big one. You know, you just know how they look at it. And that's the last play they're going to look at on the tape. They're going to look at all the other runs and say, okay, right. broke this, you know, do they want to go back to Lawrence Maroney who would run for a hundred yards on 20 carries, but it would be one 80 yard run. And then he'd have 20 carries on the next 19, you know, that's still five yards of carry, but five yards of carry can be five yards every time you touch the football or that situation I just described. So, yeah, I, I mean, he certainly has done a lot to build on. I talked about with Mac Jones setting that floor. I think he set the floor, but I just want to see if he can be a little more consistent. And then what does he do in the passing game? Right. Yeah, the passing game has been a little bit of a concern for Ramondre Stevenson. Hands, uh, dropping some passes, not being in the right spots, things like that. I don't know if he's going to be a factor – at all in the passing game, but I thought he ran well outside the 91 yard run. And I, I don't know the 91 yard run to me was almost the run that you throw out, right? Because that run was late in the game. Everybody had kind of fell asleep at that point a little bit and he didn't even get touched for 91 yards, right? He literally didn't even get touched. There wasn't even anybody there. So I think to, to me, that run was the run that I didn't focus on and the rest of it was the runs that I thought were more important, but we still need to see if the coaches are going to believe enough in Ramondre right. Stevenson. That still remains to be seen. What about I you? think that that that's ultimately what it comes down to. And, you right. know, I'm not, I'm not saying his other runs were bad. I'm just saying that that's, and unfortunately we don't have the coaches tapes. So you can't go in and really look at it, but right. those are the, you know, those are the runs you're kind of looking at is how did he, again, it's, they don't how they evaluate running backs. They don't necessarily look at big play breakaway ability. No. They've never been into that kind of everything else. Literally, they want, everything they else. want one ball security. One that's one, two, and three is ball security. And Stevenson didn't fumble, so that's a huge plus for him. Um, and then they, you know, they would rather have a guy who's going to pick up three or four yards every play. Right. And maybe it's only three or four yards every play, but he's going to get you three or four yards every play. He's not going to lose yards, anything like that. He's just going to put his head down and push the pile. And a stat, and this sounds, I'm going to get called a hater for this because it's a super cherry picking thing. A stat, and it probably exists as some sort of saver metric. I, when I look at a running back, I almost want to look at what's the back's yards per carry if you take away 20 yard, 20 yard or more runs. Yeah. And obviously that's going to drop the average and people are going to say, well, it's obviously not as good. Why can't you count those kind of runs? I want a back that doesn't lose yards. I th- And I think that's what they want. Most importantly, they want a back that doesn't, that doesn't lose yards. So I don't, I don't think, and correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think Stevenson had a negative run last week. No, and he's very he's good. actually really agile for his size too. Right. I was, I was really impressed with his jump cut ability and I just quickly, the 91 yard run 
nobody touched him because he got some great blocks, quite frankly. Like, if we're going to be honest, it, David Wells, who was cut recently after that, Troy Fumagalli, who's also no longer on the team, which tells you something. Uh, those two guys had some great blocks out on the edge and really got him free. And then the uh, tackle pull, it was a crack play, right? And the tackle pulls out and gets the, gets the cornerback kicked out and the whole thing opened up for Ramondre Stevenson. Right. Now, I'm not trying to take away anything from Ramondre Stevenson. I thought the breakaway speed was a lot more impressive than what I thought it was going to be based off the tape at Oklahoma. But in overall, that was a tractor trailer sized hole that he was running through and all he had to do was take off. And to his credit, he took off and, and that he yeah. deserves credit for that. But the other runs I thought were actually arguably more impressive for the running back, right? In terms of what he was actually right. doing out there versus that one particular run. That was I think Ramondre Stevenson would be the first one to tell you that that one was pretty easy, right? For the first 10 to 15 yards. For After that, that's all Ramondre Stevenson. The fact that he could run away from the defense at 240, that's all Ramondre Stevenson. But the first eight to 10 yards through the the line of scrimmage, that that was easy pickings for an right. NFL running back. But again, that's if, if I guess what I was saying, I wasn't necessarily trying to criticize him when I said what I said before. I More so my point is that big run isn't, that's not what's going to help him prevent. Right. The no, we're in agreement. On that's that. not, that's not what's, you know, it's impre- like you said, it's impressive. That's not what the coaches are looking at when they're trying to decide, can we play this kid as a rookie or not? It's what ball does he do? Right. Ball security. Yeah. And what does he do when the hole disappears? And like, he was good with that last week. He was, but that's, you know, one game doesn't make or break it. I'd say that about any of the rookies last week. So yeah, there you go. There we go. We're hating on Ramondre Stevenson. I love it. Apparently. I love it. Oh Apparently. my gosh. All right, well, guys. My second so favorite pick in the whole draft. But yeah, I hate the guy. He can't play. Chill out. All right. JJ Taylor is yeah. still a player that I think is searching for it a little bit in practice, right? I, I think that that's a one particular player that maybe has not flashed as much as we thought. Right. And in, in terms of training camp practice. Now, here's the opportunity now, right, to to show it again in the game. There were some good flashes of it against Washington in the game. I think that, that was a, a good sign for J.J. Taylor. Caught a couple checkdowns from Mac Jones, was able to break a few tackles. The kick return stuff, not quite there yet, but I, I think that that's an opportunity for him. And I think that is something that he can do. I, I was I cut JJ Taylor on my last fifty three man roster projection. I hated doing it. it. It didn't sound good. It didn't feel good, right? But it just six running backs is a lot of running backs to keep on the team. It's it's a lot. It's a high number. But maybe he. The thing I wrote about when I when I said it was he's an NFL player. He's an NFL talent. He's got enough talent to be on an NFL roster. This roster just happens to be loaded at running back. So, again, we go back to it. Last week was okay. It wasn't the breakout game. He has two more opportunities, I feel, to truly have a huge game, and he's got to have one. Yeah, I I, I think so, too. I mean, I, I had him off my first roster projection. I put him back on my second because I think he did what he needed to do in that first preseason game. But that being said, he's right on the edge. He's got to keep it up. Like you said, they're not going to cut Ramondre Stevenson. I I don't think they're going to cut Brandon Bolden either. So I think between, you know, those two guys, now he's the odd man out. And are you going to keep, you know, we talked about, they might keep four tight ends. They might keep six running, uh, six wide receivers. I've said this time and time again, you can't keep 16 players between running back wide receiver and tight end. Taylor's a guy who's in an at-large spot right now. 
So he's not competing for that running back spot. He's competing against everybody else I mentioned earlier, right? The Carl Davis, Keith Spence kind of players. Maybe a guy like Therese Hall, if he comes off PUP, is another one. The kickers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I have him on right now, but I think he's a guy who's got to keep up what he's doing. Yeah, I, I agree there as well. All right. For really quickly, offensive line, I, the starting five, I still don't have to see anything from. I know that group's going to be fine. I, I'm not, I don't even look at them at practice some of the time. I just know they're good. Right. So the secondary guys, the second team O line, they actually protected Mac. I thought pretty well in that game last week, all things considered. And Washington is not a team that necessarily holds back schematically with what they throw at the quarterback in these preseason games. So I was pretty impressed with the second team O line and pass protection. Uh, there were a couple of guys, James Ferentz, I think was the biggest one that stood, stood out among that group. But do, is there any hope for the Corey Cunningham, Will Sherman, Yadni Kajust, Alex Redmond, uh, any of those guys to make this team? Because I'm still a no. Well, if you're going to say RJ, if you're going to say Alex Redmond, not say RJ Prince, I don't know. RJ Alex, Prince, Alex, sorry, yep. Alex Redmond's been the worst player in camp, in my opinion. But um, I... Yeah, I don't know. I think maybe Ference is the eighth guy, but at the same time, all right, you're keeping Karras. Those guys are a little redundant. Right. Um, I, I wanted it to be Sherman really bad. I did because I think he get there. In theory, there's upside there. I think the five position versatility is really exciting in terms of depth offensive linemen. And I just thought, yeah, he's a sixth round pick, but look at what they did with the two sixth round picks last year in, in Heron and Owen in Owenu, who were both uh, really good. So, but you know, Sherman hasn't shown that. He's still probably a little further away than he needs to be to make the team. You can get him on the practice squad. If you really need him, you can elevate him with the new rules. And yeah, Cunningham, they like. So I I won't rule him out for making the team, but he's played what once? One snap in the last three years or something like that? No offense to Corey Cunningham. I really mean no offense by this, but I I just don't see why they continue to do this with Corey Cunningham. He's a good ball of clay, right? And that's the theory. He's six foot six. He's got good athleticism scores. He's a guy that can move around for his size. I think he was a converted tight end from college to maybe he converted in college or something like that and then became a tackle. But at the same time, I, I, I just, I don't know. I'm, I'm not necessarily seeing it with Corey Cunningham anytime that he gets out on the field in the Patriot uniform, but Yadni Kajus is the one guy, and I know I'm a big Kajus guy. Here we go. He, I don't think he's going to make the team. I'm not saying he should make the 53. What I'm saying is if I'm holding on to any of these guys on the practice squad, it's Yadni because he hasn't played to Yadni over Sherman. I would because he hasn't played organized football since 18, right? 2018. I think he played in their bowl game at West Virginia. I I would have to double check. So maybe technically it's 2019, but 2018 was the last season right before he got drafted in the 19 draft in the third round by the Patriots was the last time that Yadi Kajusis put on football pads, right? So obviously he was going to look bad in training camp to start, but he's, he's a player that has extremely high upside, right? And somebody that I think is a, NFL caliber tackle on paper and was at West Virginia on game tape, a very, very good tackle. He just had those injury concerns and they ended up haunting him in the NFL as well. So if there's a developmental tackle that I'd like to see them high, hang on to, I, it's Kajus because he has the upside to be a very, very good player, right? He has the upside sure. to potentially be, I don't want to say a starter because there's a long way to go for him to get to that level, but maybe at the third tackle or the fourth tackle with Justin Haran in the mix as well. So, 
definitely to me, I feel like if I'm going to keep any of those guys, I would re- much rather keep the guy with the highest upside, and that's uh, certainly Yadni Kajust. I guess. I just – he can't stay healthy. Does he really have upside if, if this is his – That's if fair. He has these if, durability he, concerns? if you stash him on the practice squad and give him reps off the practice squad, right, with the scout team or whatever the case may be, then I do think that those are going to have – opportunities there to develop but i'm saying okay so he develops great and then you put him in a game and and he gets hurt like i'm just saying i i think that yeah I, some people I some you. people just can't play football because they're not physically built for it i don't mean that he's not fast enough or big enough or strong enough some people are just naturally fragile that's life and he might just be somebody who hey he's made it this far in camp right he he has he has that's fair and look maybe it was fluke things to start and and maybe he can turn around i'm just saying i don't know that you know, keeping him as a project sounds nice. I don't know that he's somebody I'm relying on uh, until he proves he can he can stay on the field. I Yeah, I understand that completely. That's why I would stash him on the practice squad. Maybe, maybe if they feel good about what they've seen late in camp, he's the eighth offensive lineman that makes the team, right? But yeah. ultimately, I do think it's a practice squad spot. But I would just like to see them be able to continue to work with a guy like Yadni Kajus because he was starting from such a high floor when he came out of West Virginia. A lot of game experience, really good hands, good feet for a tackle. All these things I think he was very capable of. At the time when they drafted him, I felt like he was capable of starting in the league. Now the durability concerns have come into play and probably not, right? Just because you're not, you can't rely on him to be out there consistently enough to be a a true starter. But eventually I, I think that he can develop. And once he gets back, his feet sort of wet again and gets back into the rhythm of things and, and adjusts to the speed and the physicality of the game. I don't know. I, I think that they could get something out of Yanni Kajus, maybe much more so than some of the other guys. Will Sherman's another guy that is okay with me if he's on the practice squad, certainly. I, I don't know if I right. have to pick him up at 53 spot. All right, let's uh, let's move over to the defense side of the football. 52 minutes in. 52 minutes in. Uh, let's try to go. Uh, there's not as much to talk about over here, I don't think, as the, there was in the offense. I think there's, there's two spots worth talking about. So the first thing I, I – I don't know if there's much to mention about Christian Barmore's debut, if he does play tomorrow night. That will be fun just to watch him out there. As Patriots fans that might not have come out to training camp yet, he's been extremely impressive every single time he's been out on the field. He's dealt with some nagging toe-foot issue throughout training camp, but he's a really, really effective player, so you're going to be excited when you see that guy. It's always fun to see the high draft picks play for the first time. Right. You know, I don't think there's anything in particular that we're looking for Christian Barmore needs to do to prove himself or anything like that in this preseason game, but he's just somebody to watch out for tomorrow night. If he does get out there and play for the first time in the Patriot uniform, but the player that I actually really wanted to bring up Alex was Chase Winovich. I, I, I feel like this first and foremost, Chase Winovich was late to the party. Right. So he's here now. He's practicing now, but he was extremely late to the party in a position where they added Matt Judon, Kyle Van Noy, Ronnie Perkins this year, drafted Josh Uche. You can throw Anthony Jennings in that mix as well from last year's draft. So they've added five players at that position. And Winovich is now coming in two weeks, three weeks, what, 15 practices into training camp, 14 practices in, and he's finally just getting out there on the field with pads on. So not only is he late to the party, but he has to hit the ground running and and hard. He's got to really put it up uh, over the next couple of weeks to show that he has a role on this team. If not, then we've talked about this a bunch of times. 
he could be a trade guy, right? He could be somebody that gets traded at the end of training camp. We talked about depth at corner. Uh, I do think that they could use another tackle. Maybe they could use another wide receiver in their mind. Maybe not in ours, but maybe they feel like they can go out and get a, a good wide receiver by adding Chase to the trade package. It's possible to me that Chase Winovich gets traded, especially with the way that Judon and Uche and Vinoy have looked so far in training camp. Yeah, I'll, I'll go back to what I said, you know, when we were talking about Chase coming into camp. I think it's not just about him looking good on the edge. I think that's part of it, and I think that's important. But I think it's about, all right, what else can he do? Can he play stand-up outside linebacker? Can he play middle linebacker? We've talked about, you know, on the – if they don't keep Jakob Johnson because they feel like they're not going to use traditional eye a ton, but they still need a fullback, can he maybe play some fullback? Maybe that right. path onto the roster. I don't think, you know, that's it for him. I don't think it's, hey, Chase, play fullback or you're off the roster. But he's a guy who has to demonstrate. It's beyond talent with him. He's a guy who has to demonstrate versatility in order to stay on this roster. And now that he's back, he's got to start doing it. I think it's even more pressing that he does that now because he missed the first whatever it is, two weeks of camp. So the question is, is I, I don't disagree with your versatility point, but they've used him at edge defender in the first, in the two practices in Philly. That's where he was playing again, right? He wasn't playing yeah. any off ball linebacker. So another element of it, just to add into the equation, is potentially him being sturdier out on the edge, right? Him developing his body, getting more physical out on the edge, being a more stout edge defender of this defense, and that's something that's always very important. Right. That that's something that the Patriots really harp on with those outside linebackers. It's part of the reason, a big part of the reason why a guy like Matt Judon, who's 260, 265, is here now. Right. Is is somebody right. that can be a strong side edge defender and take on tight ends and, and defensive ends or uh, offensive tackles, excuse me, and be able to hold up against the run. So. Chase Winovich, to me, needs to prove that he can be an edge defender, an outside guy, and hold up against the run and not get pushed around and not be a bowling pin like he was at times last year. That's why they took him off the field, right? You know, that, that that's right. they took him off the field because he couldn't set the edge. Now, could he help himself out by wearing different hats and playing some linebacker and things like that? Absolutely. But I think that it starts with him being sturdier out on the edge. I mentioned Philly. I, I don't know if there was one particular thing that he did against the Eagles in the joint practices. Maybe he plays well in the game, but that's a system, a 4-3 front like that, that's more of an attacking scheme that definitely fits Chase Winovich's style a lot more than what the Patriots are going to do with him. And they've always had guys that are kind of in that designated pass rusher role, right? Somebody that right now is pegged to be Derek Barnett. Uh, Brandon Graham kind of moves around a little bit more than the, than the designated role like that. But they always have somebody, usually on the weak side of the four formation or over the left tackle, depending on where the tight end is, that's just allowed to pin his ears back and, and get after the quarterback. And that might fit Winovich a little bit more. Maybe the Eagles like what they saw to chase Winovich in the, this week, and there's a trade there, right? Joe right. Judge next week, the Giants come into town, and they play the Giants. Obviously, Judge is very familiar with Winovich as a player and as a person. Maybe that's a team that would be interested in trading for Chase Winovich. So I think that there are some opportunities, and I think trade, Chase Winovich does have some trade value if they decide that Uche is good enough. You know Judon's going to play a ton. You know Van Noy gives you some some veteran experience and some kind of just depth at that spot, and they, they're going to want Uche to break out. I, I I think that this is the writing might already be on the wall 
here for Chase if you read between the lines. Again, yeah, I just think, and, and maybe it's something they don't want to show right now, but I, I still think the path for him, he was so good in that game against the Ravens when he played middle linebacker. And they, they do kind of need depth. He was there. good for a guy that had never played middle linebacker. Right. I think, yeah. I just, I feel like that's the path, and maybe they don't want to show it, but I think that that's, that's the way to go. All right, so the other name that I think is really intriguing on the defensive side of the ball is Jawan Williams, right? Because we talked about him on Monday and Tuesday yep. show about him repping at starting corner uh, with the starting off uh, defense, excuse me, allowing Jalen Mills to move inside, the domino effect, the, the puzzle pieces, yada, yada. What do you want? Jawan Williams got to show us something still. He played well against Washington last week. Now he played late into that game. A lot of the plays that he was involved in were on guys that weren't exactly Terry McLaurin, right? It, it was right. other players. But if this continues to progress forward, and maybe in this game, Juwan Williams is out there with the starting defense right away in the first quarter of the game. So we might have some opportunities to see him against uh, Jalen Rager or against, I think Devontae Smith might go tomorrow night. He played, he practiced this week. So I think that he might play in the game tomorrow night. If maybe we get an opportunity to see Jawan uh, Williams against an NFL receiver that's going to play snaps this year for the Eagles, and hopefully he shows us something because if he's at, finally we've talked about this all summer long the CB three spot right and somebody behind JC Jackson and Stephon Gilmore if Jawan Williams is finally doing that and he's finally going to be that guy and step up to that that's a huge development for the defense yeah it's massive and it's a huge development for the entire roster because then maybe they don't have to go and bring in somebody externally to fill that spot right I, it, you talk about him playing deep into the game last week right Bill Belichick said that they they didn't have the personnel to take him out right they didn't have anybody to put in who could play instead so he's gonna get if he's playing with starting defense right so that they can move Jalen Mills around a little bit more he's another guy like Devin Asiasi who maybe just because of lack of depth could play wire to wire I think you might see that just as a general thought with three preseason games Guys who are on the bubble, and, and Aussie, I'm not saying Aussie Aussie's on the bubble, but a guy like John right. Williams, right? Right. I think we might start seeing more guys play wire-to-wire -wire in preseason games. I think that might become a thing. So, anyway, I, yeah, I think it's a big week for Williams. I think it's a big opportunity. We'll see what he can do. Um, it didn't sound I, – I wasn't there. You were. It didn't sound like Michael Jackson had the best week. Uh, obviously, everybody saw the catch. He, um, who made it? Rager, right? Made the catch yeah. over him that blew up on social media. Yeah, uh, I think it was it was either him or Quez, Quez Watkins has been like the he, the star of he's the Christian yeah. in the Eagles camp. I think it was Riker though. I liked Quez Watkins in college too. I really did. Um, trying to refresh myself. Yeah, Southern Miss. I thought he was a good player. I I like him. Um, but yeah, no, I I think it it's certainly a big game for Williams. Like I said, Jackson's maybe falling off a little bit. I still – it's interesting they're giving Justin Bethel as much time as they are as outside corner. I haven't seen anybody right. else talk about that. So maybe I'm just misled. If I'm the only one talking about it, maybe it's just a me problem. I don't think you're misled. Um, I, I actually wrote about it in my – I'm doing the thing about every right, well, player. You, on you only wrote about it because you heard me talk about it all. Like, I well, no, I just it, looked no. up the numbers because yeah. I – actually, well, I, I wrote about it. I, I have to – Correct myself. I wrote about it for my game preview tomorrow because I did put him as one of the 10 players I'll be watching because I'm curious yeah. if he's going to play outside corner. So I looked up the numbers and in 2017 with Arizona, he played 43% of the defense. Yeah, that was the last time he, those the three years, 15, right. 16, 17. Yeah. He played a little bit of wide, of corner for in those teams and he wasn't always just a special teams player. Now that's 2017 was a long time ago in football years, right? Not, not necessarily in human years, but in football years, four or five years ago is a long time. 
So I guess maybe you could say that those days are over. But, yeah, it's, it's another play that's interesting to watch and see because he did put out some good tape last week at outside corner against Washington. Right. So, I mean, and you're right, but I don't know that he's a sustainable option out there. So Williams is their last chance, and you get excited just to see a little bit of movement there because it's been – I talked about this. I mean, if you remember the shows we did back in, in April, May, right, or it would have been after the draft. If you remember the shows we did in May, I was saying the battle at that third outside corner spot was maybe more interesting than the quarterback battle. And then we get into camp, and it was just three weeks and nothing. Right. So, you know, I don't want to be a prisoner of the moment where it's like, oh, Juwan Williams had, a, 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 you know, an interception, a couple good practices. Like, let's go problem solved. But we're seeing something, which is more than we've been able to say to this point. So hopefully he keeps it up and solves that because, again, they have to go out and get somebody externally. Now you're looking at potentially a trade. Does that mean you're getting rid of Juwan Williams? Or now is that another at-large roster spot off the board because of Williams' contract and his draft status? And, you know, that unlocks a whole Pandora's box. All right. Quinn Nordine hour. We, yep. we got, we got we a couple minutes. going to do an hour? Right, let's ride. Oh, we got a couple minutes here uh, to talk about Quinn Nordine, who's going to be the kicker yep. again tomorrow night. Nick Folk's not going to kick in this game. Quinn Nordine yesterday on Tuesday went three for three with the kicks and uh, joint practices. And I, I texted you about this earlier, Alex, and I kid you not, the referees on one of the kicks looked up at the ball going through the uprights in absolute awe of how far the ball traveled. It traveled so far that it went over the tent that was set up behind the field goal post for, it was an event, you know, event tent that the Eagles have there. It went over the tent and out of the facility and landed on the other side of the fence of of the Eagles practice facility. And it was, it was good from 65 yards. It, it, It was good from 60 plus. So he's got a huge leg. We know that. He's got to be more consistent with his accuracy. We know that as well. But it's certainly getting harder and harder every single day that you see Quentin Nordine kick a football to put Nick Folk on the roster over him at this point. Right. So here's where I'm at. And I I had Folk on on my roster projection today. And I took some heat for that. But I think that that's a position. I've talked about this at quarterback a ton, right? They value experience too much to go with the kid even right. if he's may, maybe the better option schematically. Um, sure. I think they value – first of all, Folk was really good last year. Nick Folk was one of the best kickers in football. you got to consider that. He, and, right. And kicking's a fickle business. It can come and go. But the reality is the last time we saw him, he was excellent. He didn't miss after week three. Right. And I think it was and 26 be, in a row. To me, that's that's still got to be more important than training camp practice. Right? It's right. still got to be more important. Right. And, and meanwhile, if you, even if you want to compare – it's not exactly apples to apples – Folk hit 26 in a row last year. Nora Dean was two of five at Michigan. Right. 72% in college. And he, obviously he's been better since. But so I think they like the veteran. The veteran's coming off a strong year. And historically, they've always preferred accuracy to power. They want the guy who's automatic from 40 in rather than the guy who's maybe, you know, automatic from 30 in and then hit or miss from 55 in it. That being said, and there's a lot of that being said here. Nordine's not your typical power kicker. I mean, he's different. He's different than maybe any anybody the league has seen. You know, I think maybe uh, what was his name? Uh, the kicker in in Denver in the Man- Manning years. Prater. Prater. Yeah. Like, oh, like no, 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 McManus. No, who was the one with the tattoo on his arm? I think that was Prater. 
Okay. All right. One of the, um, I mean, those were the two kickers from the Broncos that I remember. So I think it was Prater. Yeah, it was Prater. Prater's like Prater had a like he taught he like he had the longest field goal and he still does have the longest field goal in history at 60 plus yards. That being yeah. but he was kicking in Denver. Anyway, yeah. the point being they generally prefer accuracy over power, but yeah, this is spe- this is special power. This is different. So we combine all of that. I still think Falk has the edge, being the veteran, having the accuracy. All of that. I still think he has the accuracy, but at a certain point, he's got to be, if he's going to be the kicker, he's got to be able to kick. Right. And we don't, we don't know officially that it's an injury that's holding him out. I don't know what it is. You know, maybe, you know, he's 36 and they just don't want to wear him out. I don't know, but he has to be ready to kick for week one or he's not going to be the kicker. Right. So I think if he kicks, if he's ready and he kicks in the third game, you know, shakes the rust off, kicks in the third game. I think they're going to go with him as exciting as Nordine is. And I'm not necessarily saying this is what I would do. This is what I think they'll do. Um, but if he's not ready to play next week against the Giants, well, then you kind of have to go with Nordine, don't you? The other thing they could do, and I talked about this earlier in the show, is they could either, well, first of all, you got to decide who has a better chance to get to the practice squad or who has a better chance of going unclaimed. Nordine's not getting to Nordeen. the practice squad. Washington's, Washington's going to take Nordine and run with him if you try to right. cut him. Somebody's probably going to sign him. I think they right. made him too high profile. And again, Nick Folk was great last year. So you could try to cut one of them and then get 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 him back on the practice squad. Or or you could try to cut Nordine, IR Folk, and then get Nordine back. The other thing they could do and this is where some of those fringe roster guys come into play, right? Like a guy like Christian Wilkerson. Right. Is Christian Wilkerson going to get claimed? Well, if not, but you want to keep him, you cut Wilkerson, you keep both kickers. And then once the player makes the initial 53, that that's the deadline for IR to return. Here if we you go. IR them before the 53, they're out for the year, right? Alex just wants to figure out a way to get Dalton two kickers <laughs> on the 53. Oh, I, I hate it. I, I do not want to keep two kickers. This roster is so competitive, but right? A guy who is already IR'd like Dalton Keene, he's out mm-hmm. for the year. He's done. I don't believe no you. Back. I think you want to keep two kickers because it would be. But I'm not, keep, I'm not keeping two kickers. Uh, no, the dream is you have the same person be the kicker and the punter and you find another holder. If anything, it's the opposite. The dream is you keep one special teams guy instead of two. But anyway, the point yeah. being, you keep two kickers initially. You then IR Nick Folk if he's not ready. And then you bring back whoever you just cut, whether it's it's Wilkerson, whether it's J.J. Taylor, whether it's Shawan Williams, an extra lineman, you know, James Ferris, what, what have you, could be a host of players. Like that may be the direction they go. Because again, I think Nordine's been excellent. I just don't know that, you know, one preseason game and a handful of practices is enough to trust a guy who was 72% in college. I don't know. They'll f- feel that way, but he has such a special leg that I, uh, if you give, if he, if they could give him another year and, and watch exactly. him for a full year to really work on his game. Oh, he could be special. He could be really special. So what do you have to do to get that next year? Maybe it's, maybe it's putting Nick Folk on IR. I don't know. Maybe it's putting him on IR. Maybe he gets Foxborough flued. Maybe he pulls up against the giants. Oh, I'm tightening up a little bit. And then we see him again in 2022. I spit on my computer screen. I'm sorry. Uh, I, just, I, you know, I, I, I maybe that's the way to do Alex it. Alex on the kickers. Alex just literally went for five minutes straight with every single possible scenario. And that's fine with me. I just was sitting back and just, I muted myself to cough there for a second. I was just I, like, I did, like they, they all feel pot. Like, am I being ridiculous? Am I being over no, the top? No, they all I, feel positive. No, I'm glad you did it. I'm glad you did it because that was that was a good explanation. And by the way, hang on, that is a that is a great point in the chat from uh, Don. 
Yeah. Because there are people who love Nordine because of the leg, and that's fair. But if you're somebody who's saying, because I've heard people say this, his legs you gotta live with the misses. You gotta you live with the misses. I better yeah. not see you in my mentions. Oh, the kicker sucks. Yeah. Oh, I miss it. You know, if you miss it, it sucks, my, oh, the kicker sucks. sucks. You wanted you wanted the guy at the 60 yard leg. That's right. the trade-off. If he if he could hit from 60 yards, he was automatic, they wouldn't have got him as a UDFA. That's just the reality of it. So there's so at least we round things out a little bit. So at one point, I think it was last year. I asked Cam Accord a question about big-legged punters, right? Because historically yeah. speaking, a guy like Jake Bailey, who has that big of a leg, is boomer bust on kicks, right? He either, he either kicks it 65 yards in the air or he shanks it, right? There's not very much middle ground because they're trying to kick the ball so hard. But J- Bailey is an all-pro because he's pretty darn consistent for a guy. So I said, how you know how rare is that in your experience to have a guy that can punt like that? With kickers, it's similar, right? Most guys are either really accurate within 40 or 45 yards but don't have the leg to hit the 53-yarder, or right. they have the leg to hit the 53-yarder, but they're only they're inconsistent, right? So you have to decide which one you want to pick. Because most there's not very many guys in the history of the NFL, if at all, that have the 60 yard leg and are deadly accurate, right? That those guys just right. don't really exist. It's one or the other, so they have to pick a path with Quentin Nordine. Uh, really quickly before we sign off here, I saw a lot of Michael Thomas chatter in the, in, the, in the chat. I'm a no. I'm a no on Slant Boy. No, thank nope. you. They already have a guy in Jacoby Myers who's basically just a poor man's Michael Thomas. Uh, they don't need a redundant player. No on Slant Boy. Real quick take on that. Okay. Uh, Alex and I are going to be back on the podcast on Friday afternoon to break down tomorrow night's preseason game. You can find my coverage of Patriots Eagles on clnsmedia.com. We will also have the post game show right here on Patriots Press Pass. So keep it here uh, right after the game for the post game show as well. We're going to break down the game there and we're going to break down the game on Friday with Alex and I on Patriots beat. And then Alex, you can uh, tease your coverage as well. Yep. 98.5, the sports had a roster projection go up this morning. Just re- before this recorded a podcast with Matt Dolliff previewing uh, tomorrow night's games. So you can find that on 98.5, the sports or 98.5 Patriots audio, wherever you get your podcasts. And then I'll have a what to watch for up tomorrow morning and then coverage throughout the day again on 98.5 thesportshub.com. Look at that. That's called a professional tease right there. So 98.5 for Alex and stuff, CLNS Media for my. doing this for a little bit. (laughs) Not not our first rodeo. And then again, we'll be back on Friday afternoon to break down Patriots Eagles, another game tape. I'm excited. I always like uh, to. It's like Christmas for me when the preseason games finally come around and there's actual game tape. Okay, hold on. No, no, no. Hold on. Wait, we're we're not wrapping up the show yet. Hang on. Did you just say the preseason games are Christmas for you? Yeah, because it's like it's like the fir- it's it's the first time in a year or not a year, but what eight nine months that I have actual game tape no. to watch. You not not just not Would you just say real football. Uh, yeah, semi real football. So I I really try not to do this. This might be the only time I ever do this. I texted Evan earlier today. We get to watch college football in ten days. I'm very excited. Evan replied, real football doesn't start until September 9th. You would rather watch preseason football than actual Alabama-Miami, Indiana-Iowa, Wisconsin-Penn State. You enjoyed college football last year. Get back on the wagon. 
It's going to be a great season. There, Don't tell me you're you. all excited. Look, I, I get excited you. about the preseason too. You can get excited okay, I get it. excited about the preseason for the Patriots because that's the team that I cover. All right? I don't care about the preseason for the other 31. You cover teams. the draft? You cover the draft? The reason why I like college, college football, football just- is because it serves its purpose of being able to give us tape to evaluate so, prospects. That's why I like football. college football. College football is basically preseason for the draft. The preseason for the draft starts in 10 days. Yeah, I can watch all the tape that I need to watch about college football in March or yeah, February. It's not as fun in March, that way, though. It's right? I don't have way. to watch it live. It's all not right. as fun that way. College football Twitter is the best. You don't get that in March. All right. All right. I'll, I'm, I'm going to, you know, you're going to sucker me into watching some college football this Absolutely. year. So don't worry about it. All right. That, that about does it. We're wrapping it up on that note until Friday, signing off for Alex Barth. I'm Evan Lazar. Thanks for watching everybody. Thanks for watching our content of the six time Super Bowl champion, New England Patriots. Please subscribe to my podcast, Patriots Beat, on our YouTube channel, Patriots Press Pass, or wherever you get your podcasts for a lot more exclusive content right here on the CLS Media Network.